According to reports, the Sacramento Kings are now interested in signing three-time NBA champion big man JaVale McGee. Apparently, in the Kings' eyes, you can't have too many centers. Should the Kings sign McGee, and what does that mean for guys like Nerlens Noel and Namias Keita? We'll discuss right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all offseason long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer at ABC 10 News here in the California capital. JaVale McGee. I can't even say his name without doing like the Shaq. JaVale McGee from Shaq and the Fool. OGs know that early in JaVale's career, especially in his time with the Denver Nuggets, he was basically on Shaq and the Fool every single week. But while some people might know JaVale McGee for the flubs and mistakes that he made early in his career and the blooper reel that he's had throughout his career, JaVale has actually put together a very successful and solid career where he's been in the league now for 15 seasons. This would be his 16th season in the league. He's bounced around from a lot of teams, but it ultimately has helped three teams in one way or another uh, or, or helped win three different championships one way or another over the course of his career. So there are a lot of pluses a lot of benefits for the Sacramento Kings potentially signing JaVale McGee. And when I saw this, my initial interest was peaked. Now, this report uh, came from from Chris Haynes of of Yahoo Sports. Uh, Chris reporting that uh, JaVale McGee was was likely to be waived by the Dallas Mavericks, I think, a little bit later. Shams reported uh, that he was waived. So if he is to clear waivers or once he clears waivers, the Sacramento Kings are potentially a team that are interested uh, in signing him. Now, I don't know what that deal would necessarily look like, and I don't necessarily know if JaVale McGee would make the team. However, in my opinion, JaVale McGee jumps up the list of bigs that are already on this Kings roster. To me, JaVale McGee is the best or would be the best true backup center on the Sacramento Kings roster. I'm I'm talking true, bona fide center in the league. The reason why I have to put that specific uh, or, 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 or say things that specifically is because I still believe no matter if JaVale McGee signs with the Sacramento Kings or not, makes the team or not, Trey Lyles is still the backup five for the Kings because you have to find a place to put him on the floor. And with Sasha Vizenkov, who I have news uh, coming on later on the podcast about Vizenkov's introductory press conference coming later this week, I'll share that with you in a little bit. But with Vizenkov likely being the Sacramento Kings backup four and him getting a, a, a decent amount of minutes for the type of player that we believe he's going to be and the impact that we believe he's going to have for the Sacramento Kings this upcoming season. Trey Lyles, who is also an important part of the Kings rotation, he has to fit in somewhere. And we saw at times last season, we saw at times during the uh, the playoff series against the Golden State Warriors that Trey Lyles as a small ball five is not a bad option for the Sacramento Kings to have. So regardless of what happens with McGee, Regardless of what happens with Nerlens Noel, regardless of what happens with the Mia Skater or Alex Len, I firmly believe that no matter how many backup fives the Kings have on their roster, it's going to be Trey Lyles that is the consistent rotation five, should I say. Based off of matchups, are there nights where maybe the Kings going small ball 
isn't the best of plans and they need a McGee or a Noel or a Kata type rim protecting paint presence, true center presence uh, to help them defensively or offensively. Sure, there might be nights like that. But for the most part, I believe no matter what happens with the Kings center sweepstakes this offseason uh, and in training camp, I think Trey Lyles, it's his spot to lose. Now, why do I think so highly of McGee? Why do I like McGee so much? Well, to me, I mean, he brings a lot of things to the table. The first and foremost is something that you can't ignore. It's the experience that he brings, right? JaVale McGee has played 15 seasons in the NBA, over 800 games. JaVale McGee is a three-time NBA champion. He has started in 23 playoff games, and he has been a part of 50 playoff wins throughout his career. So very similar to some extent to the wealth of experience and knowledge that Matthew Delvadova brought to the Sacramento Kings last season, I think JaVale McGee would, would fill a similar role or bring a similar role as a veteran who has been there, done that before, and even if the Kings make the playoffs and he doesn't see the floor, JaVale McGee still provides a lot of value in knowing what it takes to be effective in the early rounds, be effective in the middle to late rounds, be effective to win an actual NBA championship. JaVale McGee's not going to be the difference between the Kings winning a championship or not winning a championship, but that experience is invaluable, and that can be added to the incredible experience that Mike Brown himself has, the amazing experience of, of the Sacramento Kings coaching staff. A veteran presence like JaVale McGee is never a bad thing, in my opinion, for a team like the Sacramento Kings. But I believe JaVale McGee would actually get playing time in Sacramento. I do. I believe he would be, like I said, an inconsistent backup true five for Sacramento. Would he play every single night? Probably not. I would expect him to have maybe a little more established of a role than like Alex Len had last season. So to me, in addition to the experience, JaVale McGee, he brings the rim protection that the Sacramento Kings lack. And we're not just talking about blocks, although for his career, he has averaged 1.4 blocks per game. We're talking about the paint defense, right? Pro protecting the rim is more than just shot blocking. It's, it's changing shots in the paint. It's cutting off uh, drives and, and, and uh, attacking the rim. It's making sure that you're not sending guys who are attacking uh, to the foul line and making their life as difficult as possible when they decide to come amongst the trees, amongst the bigs uh, in the lane. Uh, JaVale McGee has a career defensive rating of 104. Now, again, to preface this, defensive rating, the lower, the better. Offensive rating, the higher, the better. So a defensive rating you want to be low. 104 defensive rating. For context, that would have been second on the Sacramento Kings roster last season, second only to Alex Len, who I believe had an offensive rating of like 101 or 102 and something like that. Now, last season with the Dallas Mavericks, JaVale McGee had one of his worst defensive ratings of his career with 112.4 in 42 games that he played in Dallas last season. That's not good, right? And if that number, if I believe that number was an accurate ref reflection of who JaVale McGee is as a defender at this point in his career, I'd say there's no point. Why, why bring him in? At that point, go to Kata or go to Noel or go to somebody else. Like if JaVale McGee is not going to be have a good defensive rating and be a good interior defender for the Sacramento Kings, what's the point of even bringing him in other than the experience that he provides? Unless you're just going to have him literally sit on the end of the bench and be the experienced locker room leader who barely suits up and never sees the floor, 
right? A bona fide extension of the coaching staff, which I don't think they necessarily use a roster spot on in this case. But I don't think that 112.4 defensive rating is accurate to who McGee is as a defender today and who he has been certainly as a defender in the past. And here's the reason why. You look at the the seven seasons before last season with the Dallas Mavericks. And remember, last season with the Mavericks was not a good year for them. It was a down year. It was disappointing. They went through a major change in the middle of the season with the addition of Kyrie Irving. That team was a major disappointment, really on both ends of the ball, but especially defensively, considering the year that they had before that, the deep playoff run that they made. And a lot of that was on the backs of their defense in addition to the greatness of Luka Doncic. Like the Dallas Mavericks were a mess last season. I'm not blaming JaVale McGee for the mess that was the Mavericks. Did he help them? No. Hence the reason why they waived him and are deciding to move in another direction. But the 112.4 defensive rating, I think, is less of a reflection on McGee and more of a reflection on the Mavericks. And here's why. The season before that, his defensive rating, 102. Before that, defensive rating, 107. Still a little too high for me. Season before that, 101. Before that, 104. Before that, 102. Before that, 100. Before that, 102. So the last seven seasons before last year's 112 were... 102, 107, 101, 104, 102, 100, 102. Consistently, JaVale McGee has been that low 100s in terms of defensive rating. That would be, again, amongst the best on the Sacramento Kings roster last season. And these seasons are in completely different circumstances, right? Like the 102 the year before was with the Phoenix Suns. He's bounced around to a lot of teams, been on a lot of playoff teams, helped a lot of playoff teams win. And defensively, in the whatever role he had, the whatever capacity of minutes he was getting, he was still consistently solid on the defensive end of the floor in terms of defensive rating. His rim scoring on the offensive side of the ball, because we know how important offense is to the Sacramento Kings, his rim scoring is actually pretty solid as well. He shot 69% from the field in the restricted area, which is that little circle underneath the basket where if defenders stand in that circle and make contact, it's an automatic foul. You can't draw a charge in that little circle. That's right at the rim, right? A 69% field goal rating or or percentage in that restricted area, and he shot 55.6% in the paint. Here's some context for you. De'Aaron Fox shot a unbelievable 75% in the restricted area That's only 6% better than McGee, but I can't say only 6% because 6% in the NBA is is pretty significant. Fox also shot 54% in the the paint, a percentage point less than JaVale McGee. Maybe you would expect that with one being a point guard and one being a center. DeMontis Sabonis also shot 69% from the field in the restricted area and 47% in the paint. Now, Fox and Sabonis are shooting and attacking the basket, at a much higher volume than JaVale McGee ever would. And again, these are McGee's career numbers, not just last season's numbers in the restricted area and in the paint compared to last season's numbers for Fox and Sabonis. So even if McGee has a better field goal percentage at the rim or in the paint, it doesn't mean that he's going to be ultimately a better paint or rim scorer than either Fox or Sabonis. But it shows offensively what he's capable of doing, whether you're running him off of pick and rolls, if it's putbacks off of rebounds, offensive rebounds, alley-oops, whatever it may be, JaVale McGee is a pretty efficient scorer in that area. Now, outside of that, mid-range, three-point shooting, forget about it. Like, that's not his game. And the Kings wouldn't expect that to be his game. One concern of JaVale McGee's that I do have, one of the major weaknesses from this Kings team, which they're hoping to address with 
their backup backup center or second true backup center five that the the, the, the Kings can find. They need help rebounding, right? Offensive rebounding killed them last season and killed them in the playoffs. JaVale McGee's never been a great rebounder for his size and for his position. He is at, for his career, an only 5.2 rebounds per game center. He had just 2.5 rebounds per game last season in eight and a half minutes per game with the uh, the Mavericks. So eight and a half minutes, 2.5 rebounds. That number certainly could be worse, I guess, for the, the little playing time that he was playing. And it's hard to ask for much consistency from a player that's only playing eight and a half minutes. Some nights wouldn't play. Other nights would play just a handful of minutes. How can you ask for a lot from him rebounding? I'm... I'm basing this less off of what he did for the Mavericks last year, although I do feel that in terms of minutes per game and things like that, he might have a fairly similar role here in Sacramento. I'm basing this more off of his entire career to where even when JaVale McGee was at his prime, I mean, he was not a great rebounder. Like, he only has one career season where he's averaged eight rebounds or more, and that season he averaged eight rebounds on the dot. That was 2010 2011. He's had a couple seasons with like seven and a half rebounds, but for the most part, it's six, fives, and fours throughout his career. Even when he was getting a big chunk of playing time. JaVale McGee has never been a double-double guy. He's never really been a glass cleaner in his career. So that's one of the concerns, mainly the primary concern, I guess, that I would have with the Kings signing JaVale McGee. That being said, I stand by what I said at the beginning of this podcast. I think JaVale McGee, if the Kings were to bring him in, I think he is, in my opinion, he's the guy that I would choose or feel the most comfortable rolling with as the true backup five or second string five on this roster, knowing full well he's still playing behind Trey Laws. I would have put him ahead of Alex Len. I would put him ahead of Nemeas Kata. I would put him ahead of Nerlens Noel. And I, I bring those names up because if the Kings were to sign uh McGee, and he were to make the team. You're not rolling into the season with three backup centers who are all playing behind a stretch four who's going to be playing small ball five. You're not doing that. You're not wasting that many many spots. If the Kings are bringing Nerlens Noel, excuse me, if they're bringing JaVale McGee in and he actually makes the team, you're saying goodbye to two of the three of Len, Kada, and Noel. To me, it's bye-bye Noel right off the bat. Like, no hesitation, bye-bye Noel. And and all these guys are going to have a chance to prove that they should make the team in training camp. This is not a decision that the Sacramento Kings, I don't think, would would make. Like, they, they can have, I think, up to now with the new CBA, 24 players in training camp. So they wouldn't sign McGee tomorrow and then cut Noel or cut Kate or anything like that. They can bring them all in and have them compete for the position. But if McGee is the guy, if McGee gets the spot, I think it's bye-bye Noel and I think it's bye-bye Kata. Unless you want to say bye-bye to Len and give Kata an opportunity, which I know, I kind of know what Alex Len is. And I know Alex Len is capable of filling a role for the Kings because even though it was inconsistent at times last season, when he was out there, he had good moments. So that's just my prediction on the entire thing. I like the Kings' interest in JaVale McGee. I'm interested in myself. So we'll see what the Sacramento Kings decide to do if they end up actually pulling the trigger on signing him or bringing him to training camp or not. I want to hear from you. What do you think about JaVale McGee on the Sacramento Kings? Let me know at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter. Email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. Leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below.
This episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. All you have to do is place a $5 wager. You can place it on anything. You can place it on a money line. You can place it on like a player winning MVP, a Super Bowl champion, anything. Bet $5 of your own money. You get $200 on top of that. No matter if you win or lose that first bet, you have $200 more for you to continue to play and ultimately make more money on FanDuel+. Plus, All customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. That's a pretty incredible deal. Talk about a great investment of $5. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. And of course, when NBA season rolls around, FanDuel's got great NBA action for you too. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss out on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. As we continue to move through the dog days of the NBA offseason, it's just lists galore. Here's this publication's list of the top point guards in the league. Here's this publication's list of the top wings under 25. Here's this publication's list of the best left-handed players whose favorite color is blue and they might have come from Tennessee. Like, it's just list season, right? Everybody does it. It's fun. It, it kills time. And it always sparks conversation. It always sparks debate. And it gets reactions from airheads like me who are also trying to kill time at this time of the year on my podcast. Well, the latest list that I want to address is from Yahoo. The top 10 NBA executives list, essentially NBA general managers. Would you believe it? Monty McNair, the general manager of the year or executive of the year, is not on the list. He's not in the top 10, as are 19 other executives who didn't make it. Now, on one hand, I'm like, okay, I get it. Seeing some of these names on the list, guys like Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, although Brad Stevens inherited an amazing situation in Boston. So I don't know how much credit I give him for that. That was really kind of Danny Ainge's team. But Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, like there, there are a lot of names on that list where I'm just like, okay, these are, if there's such thing as like NBA legendary GMs or top GMs who are well-known, like those guys are on this list. Monty McNair is in his first job. However, what I want to address here, what I want to discuss is, is it's less about the executives that are ahead of him. Because... It's not really, for me, it's not really a situation of, hey, Monty McNair deserves more attention. Monty McNair deserves uh, more praise for what he was able to do with the Sacramento Kings last year. He just won NBA Executive of the Year, Matt. That's the, that's the top award that he can get in his position. So he was recognized for how the Sacramento Kings performed last season, how they were able to turn it around. So this is not me griping truthfully that McNair's not on this top 10 list, but it's the reasoning behind it that I'm, I'm just bothered by. And it, this is the same reasoning across the board for the Sacramento Kings in any national conversation this offseason. Across the board, the reasoning is this player is not in the top 10 or this player isn't there yet or this guy's not here or this executive or this coach. Why? Because the Sacramento Kings have to prove it to me that, they, that last season wasn't a fluke, that they can do it for two years in a row, then three years in a row. Like It's just goalpost moving. Goalpost moving. And I get it. I do get it. Like, you want to see consistency from the Sacramento Kings. You want to see that as fun as last year was, that this team is actually legit, that they actually can 
stay amongst that third seed. In fact, they can continue to take, take steps forward towards actually competing for a championship. That the decision to stick with this core and not make major swing upgrades like other teams in the Western Conference made this offseason, that that decision to bet on what the Sacramento Kings have here now was the right decision. I get it. We need that context. We want to see more than just a one-hit wonder team. I get it. But Monty McNair did what very few men, I think, would be able to do here in Sacramento. I don't know. If you take Danny Ainge, if you take Brad Stevens, and you put them in Sacramento, maybe they turn this team around. But regardless... Again, to me, it's not a Monty versus Ainge or Monty versus Stevens or whoever. To me, it's Monty McNair in his first NBA stop, his true first time as a general manager. He spent years in the Houston Rockets organization, years under Daryl Morey, was very important there, not taking that away from him. But the first time where he was the guy, he took over the most dysfunctional franchise in all of professional sports. He took over a team that had... Or that had the longest playoff drought in NBA history. Well, they got there in his first couple of years here. He took over a team during COVID time when there were questions about ownership and ownership over-involvement. He handled all of that. And he was able to turn this organization around. He made move after move after move, many of which he was criticized for, some by us here in Sacramento, most by all in the national media, ripped to shreds for trading Tyrese Halliburton, ripped to shreds for making this move, ripped to shreds for not making that move. He's been the only guy to actually get results here in Sacramento, which some of us thought is like it could never be done. It was never, it was never going to happen. Like near, nearly at the 20-year mark, the Kings will never be good again. Welcome to basketball hell. At least it's warm here. <laughs> like that's what it was. And Monty was able to turn that around. I'm not saying there needs to be a plaque for Monty McNair in the Basketball Hall of Fame or NBA executives need to all bow down to the man who was finally able to turn things around in Sacramento. But there are circumstances that Monty has here, it not being a free agency destination, all of the crap around this organization for years upon years upon years upon years. He was able to handle all of that. That's stuff that Guys in Boston, guys in, well, Angels in Utah, so maybe a different situation. But other general managers in other markets, they don't necessarily have to deal with. Maybe their expectations are higher in some of those areas. But at the same time, too, even if it wasn't McNair's fault that the Kings were in that position when he took over the team, the patience level amongst the fan base and even amongst ownership was tapped out. Like, Monty had to deliver. There's a very good chance that if Monty didn't work out here in Sacramento— if Monty didn't get that second contract that he finally got from the Sacramento Kings, I don't know if Monty would have ever gotten a shot as the guy ever again. Yes, he absolutely would have been in a front office again, for sure. Hell, Pete D'Alessandro is still a front office executive somewhere. Is he in Orlando or something? Or Denver? I don't know where he is. But this probably would have been Monty's only shot at being a GM. And again, he took over one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of professional sports, and he was able to turn that franchise around. That's the recognition Monty McNair deserves. He, keep him off your top NBA executives list. But don't, don't undermine what Monty has been able to accomplish because the Sacramento Kings have only been good for one year. Because there have been multiple men and multiple front office teams, certainly multiple coaching staffs, 
that have come through in Sacramento who have not been able to do one year. It's been impossible for them to give us the one year that, Manon, that Monty McNair has given. And now it's like, okay, now we want more. Of course, we always want more. We want Monty to build a championship contender. We want Monty to build a perennial playoff team. And I believe he's well on his way to doing that. So maybe he, he won't be on this top 10 executives list until the Kings actually accomplish that or until the Kings have another good season this year. And everybody's like, okay, now we've seen multiple years of this. Now, okay, we truly believe the Kings are the real deal. I don't know. Again, I don't really care so much about the list. I just care for the recognition that Monty deserves for not just having a really, really good season last year and, and, and turning a team around to where it was undeniable that he needed to win that award. Mike Brown needed to win Coach of the Year unanimously, and the Kings needed multiple All-NBA players and multiple All-Stars. Like The Kings were so good last year and such a big story last year, they had to clean up in awards. But Monty, even if he didn't get that award, which it's impossible that he was not going to, he deserves an unbelievable amount of recognition and praise for doing what seasoned, seasoned NBA executives have not been able to do, and many of which never even wanted to try to do here in Sacktown. Big news, the Sacramento Kings let us know that on Thursday at 2 o'clock, the Sacramento Kings will be introducing newest King Sasha Vazenkov to the media for the first time, an introductory press conference inside of the Golden One Center. I will be attending that press conference. Very excited to hopefully get the opportunity to speak to Sasha a little bit, ask him a question or two at the press conference. But he is the major name, other than like extending Savonis and bringing back Harrison Barnes. Like in terms of additions, Sasha Vazenkov is the guy. And we're finally going to get the opportunity to speak with him uh, for the first time. So I will be there at that press conference. You can watch that press conference. I'm sure the Kings are going to stream it. I think ABC 10 is going to stream it. Like you're going to be able to watch that press conference live. But if you miss it for any reason, if you're busy at two o'clock working like most normal human beings. I will release an episode that day where I play for you, not the whole pod, uh, the press conference, but like the best bits from the press conference. And then I'll have my responses and just my perspective from actually being there in the Golden One Center and, and getting to interact with Sasha a little bit and, and hearing his words in person. So keep a lookout on Thursday for the Sasha Vizenkov introductory press conference edition of the Locked on Kings podcast. And Friday, our first of hopefully a consistent theme of live Fridays, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Pacific time, I will be doing a live Locked on Kings podcast where I don't know what the heck we're going to talk about. I don't know. A lot of it's going to be, be what you bring to the table. I want it to be less, hey, now I'm just speaking in front of a live audience, but it's me talking the entire time and more of like a interactions and hearing your takes, reading your takes, responding to your takes, questions, answers, things like that. More of kind of a relaxed, fun thing to carry out the remainder of the season where we're just hanging out and talking Kings basketball on a Friday. So uh, make sure you keep an eye out and tune into that 10 a.m. on Friday, a live edition of the Lockdown Kings podcast. Appreciate your support as always. We're almost to September. Very exciting. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked On Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked On Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.